Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Hello! Hello. Oh, I'm big. I gotta come back. What are you doing? Maybe, like, that's not, maybe I'll just scoot up, but I don't know. Okay, Hello, welcome everyone. to the show. Are we show. feel good about ourselves? Yes. Hi. I am Monique Dusan. And I am Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. And this is the show where we talk about all the things related to God, the Bible, and real life. And we try to have camera equity. I'm not sure. Okay. I don't know. This is us today, people. This is us. <laughs> And uh, helping us on the show tonight and every night is Bob Bontrager and adjusting the cameras, professional button pusher. And we are live. So uh, thanks to our moderators who are on the chat right now. You can join us on Facebook and YouTube. I want to say a shout out to Laura Hartley and Emily Bontrager. They're helping us on the chat tonight. Looks like Allison's trying to sneak on there, too. Oh, hello, Miss Allison. That's right. Tell us that you're watching and um, make sure to like the show, hit the thumbs up, share the show, comment on the show, everything to help inform the bots that we exist. In fact, you know what happened? What? Right when we went live, I actually got a notification from YouTube. That's awesome. From my own channel. I'm we excited for you. <laughs> I haven't had that in months. I'm excited for you. Yes. <laughs> now, I don't I don't have cue sheets. Sorry. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> so, yes, we've already done the whole support and share the show. The show is brought to you by the Center for Biblical Unity. Theology Mom Podcast. And Family 210 Clothing. And tonight's Family 210 Clothing design is... Oh. Hey, I have this shirt. It is that life truly begins after Jesus, That's after right. the cross. I think it's kind of like the resurrected life or something yeah. is the name of the design. I like That's that shirt. That's a good seller. That's, that one sells pretty good. All right. Like so. that shirt. So go to family210.com, order a shirt or any other article there. And about $10 from every sale will come to help our family. That's right. Sweatshirts, hoodies. Yeah. Women's cuts, men's cuts. Tank top. Tank tops. I'm trying to figure out. Okay, so I don't know where you guys are watching from, but in Southern California, summer has gone away. We went to Virginia for four days, and when I came back, it was winter, like fallish. I'm like, who offended summer? Where did she go? It'll come back. I hope so. It's a hundred here until October. I'm trying to figure out who hurt summer because it was only like 70 degrees today. I'm enjoying the cooler weather. I can't stand this. I'm excited to see what happens when she goes to Alaska later this year. It's a mess, but Summer has been offended and left. I came back four days later. She was gone, just up and out, bounced. I was like, yeah, I won't be going anywhere else for a while. Got to make sure Summer stays intact. Now, we had a good time in Virginia. We did. We had a great time in Virginia. We were at Stonebridge Christian School or Christian Academy, and we did a teacher training, an all-day teacher training and we spoke to the the issues of critical race theory, diversity, equity, and then identity. Hu- identity. I almost said humanity. Identity. Humanity is the same thing. No. <laughs> but um, it was good. Yeah. Had a really good time. Uh, they had some friends that came from another school uh, to join the conversation as well. And 
it was just, we love being out on the road. We love meeting people. We love talking to people who follow the ministry and then making new friends, uh, you know, people finding out about us. So had a really good time in Virginia. Yeah, it was really good. Um, did the, rolled out the new equity training mm-hmm. and we're co- trying to build um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, kind of a biblically faithful alternative to what many workplaces are doing and to try to help Christian ministries and schools and Christian businesses uh, be able to help their people get trained on what's happening in the culture, but do it in a way that um, as a biblically faithful alternative. Yeah, and you're actually right. You wrote both of these trainings and they are awesome. We received a lot of great feedback. So yeah. really excited about that. Jill Stevenson um, on YouTube asks, where in Alaska? I lived in Fairbanks for three years. I am heading to Fairbanks. Yes. in At the end of October. Yes. So I am looking for all kind of things to keep me warm so I don't die. Because this will be a show of one. I will not be back. Goodness gracious. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. What else is happening? Um should we talk about the UP conference? Because we're only a few weeks away. Just a few weeks away from the UP conference. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your vision for the Uniting People? Yeah, Uniting People conference. <laughs> I was like, there's no other letters. <laughs> yeah, so I believe my vision for the UP conference is really to build justice entrepreneurs eventually, or, you know, as we walk this road with people, the, well, my very first goal is just to bring people together. Like we are family. And so how do we get together? It's like a big family reunion with a purpose, you know? So one, the purpose is to get together, but then two is to talk about justice. How do we do justice? How do we remain biblically faithful and do justice. Culture is calling for justice. Culture is not even calling. It's demanding justice. And yet we serve a God who is just. So we can't just, you know, jump on culture's bandwagon because culture is like, hey, we need to do justice. You should be doing justice. No, we look into scripture and we see the things that God sets forward Mm -hmm. and what he declares as being just. And we participate that way. But I think there's a lot of confusion right now, and rightfully so. Like, there's a lot of things that are going out from culture and from the church that are mixed messages, that conflict, that conflict with each other and with Scripture. And so what we want to do is bring people back to a biblically faithful, historically Christian position of justice. What is it? Why does it start in the home? How do we do justice? How do I recognize when injustice is occurring? I think for a long time, we've kind of gotten to a place of, well, that's their problem. Or, you know, but in reality, the church has a very big voice and can use her voice to speak into issues of injustice. I think one of the more unfortunate things that's happened is that many people have opted out. Many Christians have opted out of the conversation about justice and calling it too political. Yeah. And I think that really what that reveals is that people just aren't clear Mm -hmm. about what the Bible actually teaches And we will be the first to admit, like, there's a lot of poor teaching right now in the church about justice. But the response to that shouldn't be, well, let's just not talk about this. Yeah. Instead, let's go to scripture, get clarity. 
Yes. Figure out our marching orders and then move forward. Yes. We don't shy away from hard conversations. We don't shy away from things that may be difficult. We actually look in the scripture, see what God says, what his word says, and we move forward accordingly. Culture can lose their mind. Culture is always going to cult and, you know, do the culturally kind of things. That's okay. We have our own marching orders and they will be countercultural. And yet we move forward anyway, because we understand that Christianity offers a better hope for race, justice and unity. Yeah. I think that we want to encourage people to go check out the up conference. You can go to center for biblical unity.com slash up 2021. You can see all the speakers, all the talks that we're going to be doing this year's theme, Standing for Biblical Justice in a Social Justice World. We have individual um, licenses, church licenses. We've got video only, video only, on demand, live and on demand. Yeah. So there's a lot of options. And we want to encourage you to sign up, share it with your pastor, share it with your leadership team, get your small group together, because a lot of people are confused They're wondering, how do we do justice? We're going to have a great time uh, leading people in this conversation. You know, I was watching a video this week, just a couple of days ago, and it was between an an African-American, a young African-American man who's a, you know, a very thoughtful, young uh, Christian apologist with um, another apologist who is Caucasian. And the concern that the young African-American apologist had, which I think is, is a legitimate concern, is he doesn't hear enough voices who are speaking out against critical race theory speaking for justice mm-hmm. in a biblically faithful, positive way. Mm-hmm. And so he, he, I think, feels frustrated with that conversation of if all you do is posture against critical yes. race theory— but you don't ever put forth the biblically faithful alternative, of course people are going to go down the secular mm-hmm. social justice path. Of, we ought to expect that because any person can look in Scripture and see that Christians ought to be for justice. Yes. And if the only framework that's being put forward is from culture, that's how people are going to mm-hmm. go. So this is a very important conversation for us to have. We do have the better hope. We do have the answer. And so, yes, I think it's it's super important for us to be having this conversation right now. Yeah. So go check it out. Centerforbiblicalunity.com slash up 2021. Yes, 2021. Now, let's get into tonight's show. Yes. Man, it's it's been it's been a week. It's definitely been a week. And um, tonight's show, we are going to be speaking with Sarah. Sarah is not her. And you can, you know, interrupt me and, you know, correct things if I if I'm butcher it. But Sarah is not her actual name. Um, But we had to call her something. We had to call her something. We couldn't say, hey, you. Hey, you. (laughs) Um, But we're going to be speaking with Sarah. And Sarah is an American Christian who spent time working in Afghanistan and actually still has friends and contacts on the ground. Former colleagues. Yeah, former colleagues and things like that on the ground. And so we wanted to kind of think about, you know, what's happening there, not from a political position, but from these 
Afghan Christians are our brothers and sisters. They are no less brothers and sisters than, you know, us here stateside. And so how do we pray for our brothers and sisters? How do we support our brothers and sisters? What is the need right now for our brothers and sisters? You know, at Center for Biblical Unity, we are always talking about family, and this is no exception. We need to remember that we have family outside of America, outside of our, you know, unique context here within our own communities and things like that. And, you know, our our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and around the world and many places around the world are experiencing severe persecution and are suffering. And so we wanted to have this conversation from the familial context, not the political context. I will say now that if the comments in the in the text go to political or blaming of side A or side B, they will be removed. This conversation is sensitive and we want to respect the the our guests, we want to respect those who are suffering in Afghanistan and I'm just putting it out there and being clear that we won't have that tonight. And, and there's really not going to be a ton of grace for political um political context and and either blaming or shaming of sides yeah i mean we all have questions we all have things that we don't understand we all feel very sad about what's happening some of us frustrated angry angry. Yeah. yeah and and all of those feelings can be explored you know offline or or in other contexts but our purpose and goal here tonight is to think about our family members who are in the pers- who are being persecuted, you know, and we're focusing on Afghanistan, but that's not to say that this isn't the kind of thing that's happening in many countries all over the Nigeria world. Nigeria is one that comes yeah. to mind. For yeah, me. North yeah. Korea. Mm-hmm. You know, people have difficulty in many many countries. So let's bring Sarah on, and we're going to conceal her face. And so we're going to use this graphic card. Good evening, Sarah. Hi, ladies. You Hello. can call me you if you want. Hey, you. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us, um, for taking time out of your day to be with us and to talk about this. Um, We want to just start off with, I know that, you know, we're concealing your identity and and that isn't necessary. Yes, a part could be to protect you and and the work that you've done there. But, you know, really to protect the brothers and sisters who are currently still there. Yeah, that's right. um, As much as you can, you know, tell us about yourself, the work that you did there, how long you were there. Yeah, I am in the States. My husband and I run a church and uh, also run after two little toddler uh, boys constantly. That's my that's my uh, full time job. And then I also work part time for a faith based leadership training organization. And uh, that's that's actually how I first got introduced to Afghanistan was because I got involved in these leadership trainings and I became a volunteer team junkie where I just went from team to team and loved uh, the work that I was a part of then as a volunteer now, um, now full time. But uh, at that time, I went through a training and previously I'd spent a lot of time in China. I thought for sure I was going to move there. I loved it. Couldn't imagine uh, moving anywhere else that was in the plans. And, uh, and then I went to one of these trainings and uh, there was this woman who walked in, a uh, participant that I didn't know. 
And the entire four days, I had this really clear sense from God that I was supposed to be connected with this woman that I didn't know. So I spent the whole four days praying for her during the training and then uh, creepily uh, went up to her afterwards and said, hey, uh, you know, this might sound strange, but I really feel like we're supposed to be connected, uh, but I'm not sure why. And uh, she shared her name with me and, and we exchanged information and that was pretty much it. And then three months later, exact same experience, another training I was volunteering for another woman, exact same sensation, went up to her afterwards, did the same thing, introduced myself. And she said, oh, um, well, that is interesting that you had that same experience before, because that woman you just named is my best friend. And I just got back from Afghanistan. And uh, I think you should follow through on what seems to be a God thing. And so it was from that moment uh, that there was just a, a one thing after another. I went home uh, to these very kind people from the church at that time who were housing me that I hardly knew and found out that they also happened to be the spiritual parents of this same woman. And uh, so I reached out to her in Kabul by email and said, uh, you remember when I came up to you? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a real thing. So when can I come? And that started me uh, over to Kabul. And I had eight days there where I got to train and work alongside her and her other colleagues in this for-profit leadership training company, uh, which is very unique, very, very unique there because Typically, uh, if you're if you're living outside the walls and the barbed wire and uh, in any kind of um, sense outside of like being a contractor or going there through the U.S. government or military, uh, you're with an NGO. And this particular company was based for profit in Kabul with Afghans. And uh, our, our whole staff were all uh, followers of Jesus, and it was a very unique thing. So uh, that started my journey over there to Kabul. Now, you, you lived there for a while. Is that right? I lived there for close to three years. Okay. So I'm wondering, did you stay in Kabul or did you move to a different area? I lived in Kabul the entire time okay. and uh, we lived in a neighborhood just like everyone else, uh, just like all the other uh, Afghans around us and didn't live on any special compound. And then we did work uh, primarily in Kabul, but then my program uh, multiplied um, like times 10 size and uh, we were able to go do trainings in Jalalabad and Herat and Mazar and other areas. We even made it out to Kandahar once um, for uh, the, the trainings that I was doing, which was leading the women's department. So I got to do all of the women's trainings. We trained, um, especially in Kabul, we trained some of the most, um, I guess, elite would be the best word to use because they had the most access to resources, to uh, they knew English, a lot of them. But then from there, we were able to train up our Afghan staff to be trainers. And then once that happened, our, our work exploded into all of the other areas because they were able to do it in their language. We trained all of the Afghan women's police forces 
Um, it was it was a reach into the highest levels of leadership and government and influence and activists in that area. So the the type of training you were do, doing was leadership training, mm-hmm. and and the people that were doing the trainings were all Christ followers. Although the the entity itself yeah. that you were with was with was a for profit situation. Yeah, actually, nobody who attended our trainings were. Christ followers. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So just the leaders. That's right. Okay. Uh, and, okay. And not even them, not even some of them. So okay. that was our, the vast majority of our leadership. Uh, so we had in total, uh, we had 53 employees. Uh, 13 of them were what we called expats because they were from different parts, but mostly the U.S. Um, and then uh, the remaining 40, I think it ended up going up to 43 uh, were Afghan staff. And out of that Afghan staff, we had a small handful who were followers. And most of the other ones who worked with us didn't even realize that that was the case. Okay. Yes. So I'm wondering, um, you know, how it functioned, you know, in without a ton of detail, but just, you know, what was the role of the U.S. military? It, was it mostly just to provide stability um, so that there could be some level of normalcy. Um, did you interact with military? Like how present were they? Mm-hmm. Uh, you would see the military scattered all throughout um, until we would make special trips to the Bagram Air Base because my roommate always loved to get those Swedish fish uh, <laughs> specialty uh, snacks that we could never get outside of the actual uh, army base. So we would get special deliveries and packages and uh, we would invite all of our uh, military friends that we made at that time over to our house for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And they would sometimes uh, do their best to make their way over if it wasn't against the rules to our our very insecure home in the middle of a neighborhood in Kabul. Um, But at that time, the uh, U.S. military had uh, done what a lot of people call a mission creep, you know, so it had... Uh, by the time I was there, it had shifted from being outright only uh, a fight against terrorism to what was becoming more known as um, just uh, further further community support, support counter intelligence, counter um, counter terrorism was less uh, was more in the background and counter insurgency and, and support was more on the forefront at that point. So even though the military were there. What was the the atmosphere in terms of being a Christian? It, I mean, did you feel a level of protection in being a Christian because the American military was there helping to stabilize things? Or did you feel like that was something that had to be very concealed? Uh, you could not uh, speak about that uh, at all unless it was something that... Um you were in a one-on-one or small group conversation about. And, um, and so that was uh, always a concern. Um, We ended up uh, after my third year, I came home for a very short period of time, uh, an extended Christmas break essentially, and uh, got a phone call to not get on the plane uh, the next day and never come back uh, because we had been blacklisted and, turned in um, by sadly one of our closest friends and colleagues 
um, that we were believers and that we had been baptizing people. Um, and it was life-threatening for our, our expat staff. They had to evacuate within 45 minutes, um, left all of their stuff and belongings and their kids. Some of them had grown up there for years and, um, and that was the last they saw of it. And then for our Afghan staff, uh, simply being associated with that level of accusation, uh, all of their, their homes were ransacked, uh, people were threatened, and um, thankfully the ones that were followers were not, um, were not able to um, stay in their homes, but they were able to stay safe. Mm-hmm. Now, what has the relationship been between the Afghan people and the Taliban? That is such a nuanced question because, um, so the vast majority of Afghans um, are, are completely and utterly at odds um, with any form of violence, uh, any, anything that the Taliban represents that we would associate them with immediately in our minds over here in the West. Um, but there's also a complicated response to that too, because especially folks out in the more countryside, rural areas who would identify with like a more strict adherence to Sharia law, which is like um, essentially the, your code for life from the Quran and following, you know, what they would consider to be like a holy uh, life that uh, Allah has called them to, um, that there is like that more, um, that, that, more narrowed sense of like what that is, what that life looks like. And uh, so the Taliban initially, especially the first round when they came 20 years ago, they came in with all these promises for peace and they had a lot of resource to back up that promise. And especially when you're a, you know, you're someone who's trying to put food on your table, you're trying to grow crops. And here you have these people coming in saying that they're going to help you from all this famine and heartache and infighting and warlords and all of this. And then uh, they, they actually back it up with, with real money that you can provide for your family. I think there was a, there was a mixed response on that. And here we are all these years later and, you know, we've seen what could happen. So it'll be interesting to see how those uh, more rural areas now respond to the Taliban. Um, but the, the folks that I'm connected to are all uh, living in fear. They're, they are terrorized by the thought of the Taliban coming to their door. We've already had coworkers who have been going door to door seeing the Taliban going door to door in their neighborhoods and their complex in the rural areas. Um, every woman that I know, and again, I'm associated with the, with the elites, right? So like most of the folks I know are connected to believers, like followers of Jesus or people who have been connected to NGOs um, or their minorities, like Hazara minority, Um, All of those things are not accepted by the Taliban. So most of them are living in terror. They're going from house to house. They're being hidden in uh, relatives, uh, you know, the corners of relatives' homes, hoping to God that nobody saw them come in in the middle of the night and turn their, you know, relative in. So a lot of it's terror. So as the, the Taliban are kind of coming into power, are they 
targeting only Christians or are they and like those associated with the West? Yeah. Or is it, you know, like who, who is it exactly that you have a sense of uh, that the Taliban are targeting currently? Christians are on the top of the list. So that's um, high priority for Taliban. Um, uh, under that would be anyone connected with foreign thinking, ideology, workplaces. So we're talking anyone from a driver, like maybe it was just an innocent driver who was looking to make some cash, uh, who got connected with an NGO or a foreign government uh, organization, and they were the driver all the way to translators, uh, for sure, to uh, anyone working with the alongside the military, um, anyone who's connected with uh, the Afghan National Police or the Army, um, and then folks who are minorities. So we're talking a pretty decent chunk of people um, who are associated with uh, something that goes against what the Taliban stands for. So Women for sure. So we <laughs> should probably clarify. Wait, I didn't hear that last part. Yeah. What did you say? Basically, any woman who is not willing to subject herself to being a sex slave or um, being willing to serve their husband to, you know, to the ultimate degree, that's anyone like that would also be included in that list. And when you say targeted, like they're being targeted, you're specifically meaning like for martyrdom or like torture and things like that, correct? Or am I just like taking it a step too far? Shot, killed, uh, tortured, um, used as uh, a lot of the, so the Taliban get their money from a lot of different sources. uh, But one of those sources is kidnapping. So that's part of it as well. If there's any money to be connected with that. Um, And yeah. Yeah. So we should probably clarify the term NGO because I didn't know what that was until I met you. That's mm-hmm. that's a, a, it's a non-government organization. So it would be our version of a nonprofit. But they're in another country like there were NGOs in South Africa where you were. There's NGOs. Yeah, in I understand. Uh, I, I, I had never heard of that term. Yeah, so. it stands for non like they're non-government okay. organizations. Okay. Um, it wouldn't be like a for profit organization. It would be like a nonprofit. So I'm wondering, Sarah, um, how would you say that when you were there, the average Afghani person would feel about an American? Did they were they positive toward you? Were they leery of you? Um, You know, obviously, we're not talking about the Taliban, but just the average um, citizen. Uh, most most folks loved Westerners. There was this op- complete openness. The first time I went there, when I went for like a eight day vision trip, I immediately fell in love with the people there, and the the affection was mutual. I mean, it could not have been more mutual. And um, there's a, there was such and still is like such a hunger for learning. Um, and such a desire to grow and expand and see and create new things beyond what they know that they have access to. Uh, so I would say the vast majority was was very, very positive towards Westerners. So the recent events of especially in the last week or so have really um, 
become quite scary and and deadly. Um, maybe, you know, we're seeing all these crazy videos on social media about what's happening. I'm wondering if um, maybe you can share with us, you know, what's happening, you know, in any way that you're allowed to share of, of you know, some of your former coworkers and what's happening on, on for them and, and some of the people that you knew or were connected to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So big picture, it's kind of interesting right now because it's like this calm tenseness. So aside from my coworkers and friends and different reports I'm hearing every day throughout the day that the Taliban are going door to door, which is honestly horrifying in itself. Uh, we're, this is a side note, but we're being told that they're uh, checking uh, f- phones. They're checking phones for messages uh, to any uh, Westerners that they're looking for Bible apps. They're looking for connections on your Facebook. Um, for a good long time, there was that symbol that was going around that said, pray for Afghanistan. It's still going around. It's like a red circle um, around people's uh, profile picture that even if, and all of us have been stru- instructed to change our uh, settings on Facebook to where uh, anyone can't see your friends, um, that that profile picture was still showing up and getting people in trouble for being associated with Christians. Um, so despite all of that, they're, they're going door to door. Um, there's still a few stores that are staying open. This is in Kabul specifically. Um, There's still activity happening on the streets. A few handful of people have started going back to work um, and didn't get stopped. But once you start going towards the streets that are the exits, the Taliban are controlling every road, every major road that leads out of the cities. Uh, They're controlling certainly um, the areas leading up to the actual airport itself. And the sense from at least from my friends is uh, it's basically just a matter of time. So we know what's going to happen. We know how this is going to roll out. They're going to start taking the young girls to be married off, to be sex slaves. We know that um, some uh, schools that they've already instructed the teachers that they are no longer, the women are no longer welcomed back, that they'll be replacing them with men. Um, So there are some slow shifts that are happening with this um, sort of doomsday feeling that's coming, that this is the beginning of the end. And uh, meanwhile, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close with a few women who are extremely influential uh, in the nation overall and they're, they're sharing, you know, and have access to many more people than I would who are saying that they've already uh, witnessed killings happening. I just got a report yesterday uh, from someone on a, a shared private Facebook group that um, her, her friend's uh, husband has already been killed, who is a follower of Jesus, and they had her phone number, so they were calling her. Uh, she destroyed her SIM card, but then they started showing up at her door. Uh, and they let her go two times in a row. And so the third time she thought this is, I'm risking my life. So she's now on the run. People who have literally nowhere to go because they have no exit 
out. And so they're taking some of these ruined buildings that are in, you know, rubble and trying to find places for them and their children to hide out um, just to get away from the Taliban showing up to their house. I have um, out of those 40, 43 uh, Afghan colleagues, uh, there's eight of them that we were able to secure paperwork for. So there's two visas if you're associated with uh, any U.S. uh, grant, funded grant, or the military or the government, there's two visas that you can apply for. And we were able to secure eight of them for out of our 40 plus workers. And out of those eight, we actually had a huge victory a couple, three days ago, where one of our eight was able to get out and bring his family. He was able to pull his, his own miraculous connections. And it, 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 I'm telling you, it is, it is a miracle that he got out, that he was one of the few handful of hundreds of Afghans that got out. Um, So that's amazing. But our other remaining seven have tried four times uh, to go to the airport. And in that process, uh, one of them, her, uh, her, her cousin who had gone uh, previously to take his, try to get his nephews out was killed Um, I haven't gotten the specifics on how he was killed. So I don't know if it was a stampede because people are really desperate right now. And what's happening is the the Afghan National Army in an effort to disperse crowds are firing bullets up into the air and it's creating panic and people are running and getting trampled. Um, But I have heard stories of people getting shot, but that's mostly through the news media. Um, and, and then in addition to our eight staff that we're working to get out, the seven are still in hiding um, and have already said goodbyes to their family members, knowing that they won't see them again, because the second that they um, get that call to go out or get that email, I should say, to go out, um, then, then they're gone. You know, they don't have time to go say goodbyes again. Uh, and in addition to that, I'll just say one, one more group that we're really connected to and you guys can be praying for is these six high school students that a friend of mine has been running a school in Kabul for years. And he, uh, he's got these six students that he also got um, what's called I-20 student visas for that he also got to bypass the system for. And, uh, and all six of those kids were so close to getting out on the 15th, like before all of the mass chaos at the airport started getting uh, reported, they got word that they had six seats for these kids on a C-31 military plane and they got there and due to the stampede and the, and just the, the nature of the crowds, they were more at risk for losing their lives trying to get on the plane than to attempt to go forward. So they also are in hiding right now and have already said goodbye to their families as well. Wow. Wow. Now, Lori on um, Facebook is asking, as she said, she's heard reports that the Taliban are going from house to house and taking young women. Is this true? I think I heard you say that that is in fact happening. I've heard the same. Um, My personal um, firsthand encounters or stories, I should say, from my friends are that they've been seeing them go door to door, but they haven't yet witnessed that themselves. Um, but I have uh, connections who are saying that their connections are all reporting that that is the concern. 
um, especially in the rural areas right now. Cobble, I don't know how much cobble has gotten the brunt of things quite yet. Um, but in the, uh, in the more rural areas, I know that at least from the women I'm connected to, they're already all in hiding. There's not a single one of them who's remained at their house because they, they already know what's coming. So that's, wouldn't surprise me in the least if that was not accurate. Now, go ahead. I was going to do Abigail's question on on YouTube. She said she saw an Instagram post that said the underground church in, in Kabul have all been martyred at this point. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, I wonder if she's referring to. So this is this is the interesting thing, right? So there's a lot of confusion happening right now, a lot of rumors and a lot of realities that are flying around, especially with social media. And there's this one particular post that's really widespread where it's like 293 such and such were all martyred or something like that. Um, so I uh, that particular post, if that's what she's referring to, uh, is not accurate. That's been cycling around since 2017 as an old um, rumor that was spread. But here's the problem is that it's so close to reality, right? It's, it's, I would never want to discount something like that because uh, just because that one post isn't accurate. Uh, again, if that's the one she was referring to, then um, it, it does not mean that that's not happening. And so another friend of mine who is very connected to the underground church said that her friends uh, who are pastors, they're already in hiding a lot of them uh, have started fleeing, like they're not even attempting to get out. They're just going towards the mountains um, to f- hole up somewhere um, that their attitude is imminent. There is imminent death coming and just to surrender to it and just an acknowledgement that this is this is likely what's coming short of a miracle. And we're just going to surrender our hearts to that now and recognize that Jesus is you know, still our hope in the middle of all of that. Yeah, I think that's a question I've had is I know that much of Afghanistan is very rural. I mean, there's there are some cities there, but there's also it's a very, from what I understand, a very mountainous country. Is there a possibility of fleeing to the mountains and trying to traverse into another country or is the Taliban kind of blocking all of those access points. This is, this is where I have to rely on my people who know things more than I do. And they're saying there is no way out. Zilch, None, like every, every potential exit is, is Taliban controlled at this point. But I will say this, the, the Afghan church is there in, in, in my whole life, I, I don't know that I will ever come across a more devoted, clear, peace-filled, passionate group of people. And when they make their choice to follow Jesus, they know the moment that they make that decision that they are risking their lives and they're risking their families' lives. And so this is... um, horrifically a reality played out 
in real time and in a more rapid and urgent way than we've ever seen it. But it's a reality that they've known the moment that they signed on to their life with Christ. And um, I'm not, I mean, in no, no way am I saying uh, that makes it better. But what I am saying is that their faith is so solid that, uh, and the church has been growing exponentially over the last several years. And I thankfully had the privilege of a friend who's um, way more connected than I am these days with, with the church over there. And uh, the stories that she shared the last time around were uh, incredible. And every Christian believer, uh, every Afghan believer that I know uh, who made the decision to follow Jesus, it's interesting. Every single one of them had a dream. Uh, either a vision during the day or a dream at night. And the Islamic culture highly values dreams. And, uh, and a lot of these folks that she was telling me stories of all had a similar experience. So God, God makes himself known. And uh, that is my, that is the prayer right now. That is the prayer that this level of persecution and fear and desperation would lead people to just the power and presence of Jesus for the first time in their life, their dreams, visions, you know, whatever it takes. Yeah. I I think along those lines, you know, one thing that Monique and I were talking about yesterday is how to pray. And we're getting some questions about that on the stream is how to pray and I, I love the supernatural aspect of what you're sharing, Sarah, because um, God has his ways. And, you know, I'm praying that angels will manifest and Taliban will be shooting at angels rather than people. And, you know, that God can throw people's minds into confusion and they yeah. can conceal things that need to be concealed. And, um, you know, yes. we, we've seen, we see that precedent in scripture. Um, and so, you know, those, I'm really challenged to pray in very supernatural ways of, of, you know, God doing some things that we're going to see and hear some amazing stories of what God will do for his people. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, even if people die anyways, you know, just like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego just said, you know, yeah. even if we will, we yeah. will still stand. So what yeah. were you going to say? I don't even, I think that it, it's just so overwhelming um, to, you know, I, I, had a conversation um, with you a couple of days ago and you shared, you know, something about something else related to Afghanistan. And um, I, you know, I just, I can't even imagine. And to know that these are, you know, brothers and sisters, like these, Mm -hmm. these are image bearers. These are, you know, people and, and, the the horror and things that they are facing, um, I think it's it's just more than what 
my I have words for even at and, this moment. And here's why, you know, we talk a lot on the show about the importance of freedoms. Mm -hmm. Here's why freedom matters. Yeah. Here's why why freedom in our country is rooted and grounded in humanity as image bearers. Mm -hmm. You know, um, <clears throat> because even if someone isn't my brother and sister in Christ, mm -hmm. they still have inherent value, dignity, and worth. Because they are made in the image of God. Because they are made in the image of God. So earlier, Sarah mentioned um, minorities. Mm -hmm. And I know that one of those minorities is people who are engaged in the LGBT lifestyle. Now, you know, we could have the whole conversation about what God thinks about that as a sin issue, and we could talk about that. But there's also the other component of their humanity. Mm -hmm. And that we don't, we don't engage in, in those kind of crimes, you know, against humanity. Yeah. And so that's a, uh, that this is why freedom matters, yeah. even for people that we disagree with. Even this is why religious freedom matters, even for people that belong to other religions in our country, is because someday we might find ourselves in the minority. So these are things that we have to um, think through and understand that where we live is a privilege because yep. things can change quickly. Yes. So, um, I think this, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. In this conversation, uh, it, it can be very overwhelming and it can be very easy, uh, for myself even. I mean, I, I, I know names and faces of people and I've found myself over the last few days at different moments, having to check out, and become more like robotic in the way that I'm relating to it because of all that comes with it. And it also feels like a very distant, far away thing. And what God showed me a long time ago, and I, this is why I think every, every Christian needs to like, if, if not leave the country, at least, at least go in the hood somewhere and just like get connected with people who are so different or look different, think different, have a different culture so that you can expand your ability to see humanity in front of you, regardless of how far away they are or how different they are, even if they're standing right in front of you and, and be able to relate to them on a level of compassion that we, um, you, you like lose your, uh, your, your, your liberty, I guess, to check out because then you have a face you know, in your mind, an actual person, a relationship, and that changes everything. Yep. What do you think, Sarah, what do you think the American church could learn from mm -hmm. the, our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan? Like, if mm -hmm. you could, if you could sit at coffee with a group of American Christians, what would you want them to know that they could learn from, from, from the, their brothers and sisters in Afghanistan? You know, I've, I've had that very conversation um, from my own perspective of learning with Afghan believers. And for me personally, what rings loudest is my recognition that when 
when I say, when I say yes to Jesus, I don't think, I think in the same way, maybe you say yes to marriage or yes to like a big decision. You, you say yes, thinking, you know what you're saying yes to, but then you get in the mess of it. And then you get to choose, you get to choose it and you get to choose how you are in it every day thereafter. And I don't think I, um, at least at the point where I lived in Afghanistan, when I arrived on the ground, I don't think I'd really wrestled through the hard stuff, the hard conversations, the hard, like hadn't wrestled through it with God, hadn't wrestled through it with people who disagreed with me. And then when life hit me sideways, when my, some of my friends were killed over there, um, I mean, that, that really was where I got to figure out where I stood with Jesus. And I think that what we can learn is that, um, in some ways we get the privilege and other ways it's a, it's a disadvantage that we don't have to forcefully wrestle through a lot of the things that not just Afghans, you know, but people in the underground church all over the world have to wrestle with before they ever say yes. And I think when you encounter Jesus, when you're not just learning about him, when you're not just reading words that you've decided to give mental assent to, but you've experienced him in a way that you can't look back, then it's, there's a little more wrestling required to get to the other side of like a real, you know, real life on life with him. Wow. That, that's... Yeah, that's a, a, a not even a lesson. I, I I I guess it's a lesson. I guess it's a it's an experience. It's a a way of being. Yeah. You know, I think um, what what I hear her say is, you know, there there's a way of being when you are a Christian that, um, you know, when you experience certain things, you're gonna have to choose. You know, you know? it's gonna cost you something. It's gonna cost you something, and your way of being has to continue to. Are you going to continue to show up, I guess? Yeah, I think in America, we're trying to figure out if we're going to get out of bed and go to church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. In Afghanistan, they're, they're risking their lives mm-hmm. to, to gather and with other Christians or to help other Christians escape. I mean, they have so much more at stake. And Jesus calls us, when he calls us to discipleship, he's calling us to count the costs. Yeah. And we don't have to engage in that too much in, as American Christians yet. yet. But I think, you know, when, when our, some of our biggest problems as Christians in America are, should I get out of bed and just watch the live stream or, or, you know, actually get up and go to church, you know, like these are the things we that aren't confront there. Them. Yeah. We aren't there and it's not to be yeah. a down on the American church, but that's the reality. Like, I think the level of, I think for many, not all, but many American Christians, it's the, the conversation of comfort Yeah, is, is one that is definitely on the table of, and I've said this on the show before, you know, how uncomfortable are we willing to be? Yeah. Uh, Jeff, Uncle Jeff has a great comment here on the YouTube stream. He says, without God, there is no image of God. There is no Imago Dei. Um, it, it, no God leaves a void for the basis of, of human freedom. Freedom becomes then a, a social or human construct. 
given mm-hmm. and taken away by those in power. And that's, that is good. That is absolutely true. Um, you know, it, it, I don't think that many Americans, even many Christians, Christian Americans have a, have an understanding of the deep connectedness between um, our freedoms and the idea of, of being created in God's image. image And that that doesn't come from a government that comes from the creator. Mm -hmm. So good, good thoughts there. Uh, Sarah, as we kind of wrap up here, um, we're wondering if you have any other thoughts about how to pray or how to support believers in Afghanistan. Yeah, if you can pray, oh my gosh. I mean, so I just know like this tiny, tiny percentage, right? And I just, I have so many staff members just in my tiny circle alone who are so close to really, um, really encountering Jesus in a way that changes things forever. And I can't imagine, you know, for the rest of the country, because I'm just one small person and I know that the the Afghan church is, is growing so rapidly right now, just that you could really pray towards, um, that expanded, um, expanded growth and, and, and their protection in that, in that process. Yes, always protection, but, but more importantly, like just the power and presence of Jesus to take hold of that movement. Um, and then, uh, there's a school that my friend runs um, it's a reputable school. They've been around for decades. They um, are uh, are the ones who are responsible for getting these six kids out. That they're in the process of doing that right this hour, um, and they're uh, really needing funds for those six kids in particular. Uh, it's three girls and three boys. They're going to be brought over here to the U.S. Um, to um, a city in the mid midwestern states, and um, they need some funds to a prove that they have the funding uh, needed when they take them to a third country uh, to process the rest of their paperwork. They have to prove they have the funds, and then b to provide the funds needed to actually take care of them once they get on the ground. So that's what this uh, link is for: is to that direct school Uh, we're gonna have bob put that up on the screen if people want to give if you feel like there's no pressure we're not trying to strong arm anyone this is just the an organization that sarah is connected with uh and she knows it's a reputable situation so um we're putting that up on the screen if anyone uh, feels like the holy spirit is prompting them to to give toward that do you know what the the currency is the the value of the the like dollar to the Afghan Afghani? Yeah, you know, I don't know that as of like that's a a great question, but these are going to be full full on dollars so that this particular organization, uh I don't know about others, but this one is now uh US based because they were forced out. And um so every one of those dollars will remain a dollar and will go we'll go to these kids. So as we're thinking about um, praying, I think another prayer, I, it was really, I felt like the Holy Spirit was putting on my heart as, as Sarah was talking is um, the praying for the Taliban, praying for conversions among the Taliban, um, praying that God would begin to make himself manifest to, to that group of people, because we, 
We also need to remember the Taliban are also image bearers mm-hmm. and that they also um, need the gospel. They need the good news of what yes. Jesus can do in their lives. And so we want to really encourage people to pray for the Taliban as well. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So ah, I just encourage you, um, you know, if everyone watching or anyone who, you know, hears this podcast, by the time this has been on for a week, what, 10, 15,000 people will have heard this podcast if everybody yeah. gives $5. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't have to be, you know, I can't give if I don't give $100 or right. I can't give if I don't give 75 You know, can you give $3? Can you give $5? Um, and if we all partner together to do it, what, you know, influence um, would we have toward our brothers and sisters who are there? And Sarah, you should probably um, let people know that, you know, when they go to the website, what are they going to see when they get there? Yeah, so this link in particular, um, just so nobody gets confused, it's done in honor of Susan King. She just passed away recently. So if you see a reference to an honor of Susan King on there through Life of Excellence International, that's uh, you're in the right place for that link. Very good. All right. Well, thank you for sharing with us. We really appreciate it. And um, just helping us be more informed about how to pray and what's happening there um, on the ground in Afghanistan as we think about our brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye. 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 So let's talk a little bit about Impact 360. Yes. We actually have a video, Impact 360. That'll give us a minute to recover. Yes. Everywhere I looked, everything I read, all the things the world told me about who I was, what I should like, it was all there. The thinking had been done for me. But what if you can't shake the feeling that you are destined to be something else, someone else? Someone other than just popular. Or unpopular. The smart one. The jock. The Christian. The sinner. In the world today, how does anybody know who? Or what to be. Or what to even know. I found those answers and more. I learned how to think through the superficial problems and transcendent issues before me. And begin to understand what God has revealed and why faith is not blind. What I believe in my heart from my experiences. To know and respond to endless challenges of my faith with love and with confidence. So that I may listen and engage because I know what I believe is true. community where you are transformed in your character as you discover your identity in Christ. And your God-given calling. It's not only who you are, but where you should be. A community where you are cultivated as a leader. Where you will learn how to live a life of service to others as you follow Jesus Christ. 
The Impact 360 Institute is a community of experiential and holistic learning where you develop confidence in what you have always believed in your heart to be the truth. Then take what you know about God and what you know about yourself and live as an agent of change in your own community. Know Jesus more deeply. Be transformed in your character. Live a life of kingdom influence. Know. Be. Live. We are so grateful for our partnership with Impact 360 and um, just for all that they are doing to try to equip the emerging generation and um, to stand for their faith. And, you know, we I think that tonight's show just really highlights the importance of having these conversations with our young Mm -hmm. people, with our kids, with our teenagers to understand the privilege of living in America, what freedom means and the the struggles and even life and death struggles mm-hmm. that people have in other countries, Christians have in other countries. I think that, you know, when we think about Impact 360 and what they're doing there, you know, really trying to give young people a fully orbed worldview. Yes. And this say the same. is a component mm-hmm. of that that I think oftentimes we don't think about yes. in our child rearing of in our discipleship with our kids well to me it it goes to something that you say quite often is raising children to understand that they are a religious minority to understand that like they're going to be in the cultural minority and what does that mean yeah you know it's going to look different country to country but what does it mean and how do we see living as religious or cultural minorities in other countries? How do we see that shaping up and taking place? I'd like to go along those lines to a comment on the um, All the Things stream on Facebook. Elaine, who always brings very thoughtful questions, mm-hmm. um, and her last name is Voss, so I'm thinking she might be part of my Dutch tribe. Um, she says, ought we pray for suffering or pray for forging circumstances to grow in faith or just be grateful in our relative ease. Hmm. It's such a thoughtful series of questions. I mean, because on the one hand, we see the church in Afghanistan growing in, in spite of, mm-hmm. you know, the, the persecution. Um, and yet we don't wish that on anyone. Yeah. Um, and also we recognize, you know, like our recent conversations with Dr. Scott Waller, our friend Abraham Hamilton, you know, talking about the freedoms that we have in our country, uh, our the expression, free expression of our religion. I think that we have to understand that our country is the anomaly. Yes. I don't think people understand that. Mm-hmm. If you look more broadly at human history, humans are are wicked toward each other. Yes. Um, in the words of the Enlightenment philosopher David Hume, life is nasty, brutish, and short. And there is truth to that in how we treat each other. The U.S. is an anomaly. Mm-hmm. The U.S. is what happens when people reflect deeply on certain 
principles that are rooted and grounded in scripture in a in a broad way. So I think we ha- we have to understand the uniqueness of of our position. And so it's sort of all of those things, Elaine. There's there's yes, we ought to be grateful for the country in which we live, the freedoms that we've historically had. And we also need to understand and train and disciple our children so that they know what could be coming or what is happening in real time for Christians in other countries. Yes. So. All right. I I can tell you're overwhelmed. Yeah. She wants to end the show. I do. Um, (laughs) And we are. And, you know, I mean, this has been a heavy show. It's it's a heavy conversation. I feel like it's been a, a heavy, you know, um, couple days or week, um, weeks. And, you know, so we are, we're not going to do a Mo's moment or a, you know, tweet Twitter week. tweet of the week or things like that, because we really want people to, to leave with some of the, the brevity of that, you the know, hev- to the, the heaviness of that, you know, and may it spur you to pray for your brothers and sisters who live in Afghanistan. You know, this is not just, something that we say because we think it's cute or, you know, we're all family. No, this is something that we say because this is what the word of God says. And so we should pray. We must pray. The hand of God still moves. And so we can pray to that end. And, um, and we must pray. They need our prayers. Um, and then if you can go and support, please do go and support, um, financially, give so that you know people can can reach our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. This is tough. It, it is. is is really tough times and so we just want to thank you for being with us in it and we hope that uh you found the show helpful and that you will share this show or at least the principles of the show with your kids, with your teenagers and your friends and family to just help raise awareness of what's happening in other parts of the world to people that we are supernaturally and strategically connected to um, because mm-hmm. of the work of Jesus. Thank you so much for being with us, for watching with us, for praying with us. We will see you next week. Good night. God bless. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com. And find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.